When I was a boy, Eric Dickerson breathed new life into the tired and hopeless Rams, my football team. But he was not enough. He had indeed four spectacular seasons with the Rams, but the Rams decided to trade him to the Indianapolis Colts. Now, at that point in my life, this would have meant absolutely nothing to me except that the move of Eric Dickerson to Indy roughly coincided with my own relocation to the crossroads of America. Alas, Dickerson did not improve the fortunes of the Colts either. It wasn't until the Colts picked up a quarterback that everyone expected to go second in the draft. That was Peyton Manning. And Manning helped turn a 3-13 team into a 13-3 team and became a serious contender in football and caused me to change my NFL loyalties. <laughs> I actually have repented of being a fan of the NFL, but I do admit that I like watching the highlight reels and I'll watch a game here and there if I get a chance because I love being reminded of the awesome strength and skill and stamina God created human beings to achieve. Nevertheless, a quick perusal the other day of NFL.com, I found jerseys for such illustrious names as Peyton Manning on sale for between $100 and $170. Evidently, there are still some fans out there. A fan... <coughs> A fan is an enthusiastic admirer. A fan is an enthusiastic admirer of someone or something. And fans love to talk about whatever they love. Fans love thinking about whatever it is they love. Fans love to try to convince other people to love what they love. And fans love to spend their time, their talent, and their treasures on whatever it is that they love. So I have a question. What's the difference between a fan and a fully devoted follower of Jesus? Now, I would argue that each and every one of those qualities that I just named that describe a fan are something that we all would want to pursue with regards to Jesus. Right? I mean, you with me on that? Here's the difference. Here's the difference. If you are going to worship someone or something, and don't be fooled, fans use the word worship when they're talking about their beloved. If you're going to worship someone or something, then you better make sure that he, she, or it will come through for you in three ways. The job description of a God is that the God provides, protects, and gives purpose to its followers. Now Peyton Manning claims to be a Christian, and I think he would be the first to admit that he is not someone to be relied upon for provision, protection, or purpose. Instead of being a fan of things that won't really help very much through this life, because even if your team wins the Super Bowl or whatever it is, there's always next year. Instead of 
worshiping or being a fan of something that won't help you through this life and certainly will not help you into the next life. Be a fully devoted follower of Christ who does three things. Worship by the Spirit of God, glories in Christ Jesus, and puts no confidence in the flesh. That is exactly how Paul is going to describe those who are fully devoted followers of Christ as opposed to fans of Jesus. Let's see where I get this from Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 to 11. Paul writes, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God, glory in Christ Jesus, and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, the persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For His sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but what that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and may share in His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead." If you take a quick read through the Gospels, any of them, you will find that Jesus actively discourages people from being his fan. All the way through. Don't want you to be my fan. Instead, Jesus calls us to be fully devoted followers of him. And Paul here explains to us what that looks like. We are to worship by the Spirit. We are to glory in Christ Jesus. And we are to put no confidence in the flesh. Now you remember last week we invested our time in Philippians chapter 3, verse 1. Paul said, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. And last week I made the point. Remember? Rejoice. What is it that we are to remember so that we can rejoice, Paul? Well, last week, we said Jesus is Lord. You have nothing to fear. You are safe. You are loved. Remember this, and you will rejoice. Now, I stand by that because those are clear and pervasive themes of Philippians and of Paul as a whole, and frankly, of the whole Bible. But we find that Paul has a much more specific answer to the question, what is it, Paul, that we are to remember and rejoice? And tonight, we are going to see it. We are to remember the good news that Jesus is more powerful than anything you can do or not do. Let's see 
where we get this. In Philippians chapter 3, I'm going to read verses 2 and 3. Paul says, look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Now Paul begins with a very clear exclamation. There are two ways to live. One of these two ways is to promote righteousness according to your flesh. And the other is to promote righteousness by faith. And in this instance, this righteousness by faith is described as glorying or boasting in Christ Jesus as opposed to anything that you might do or not do. Allow me to clarify. Paul says we are to glory in Christ Jesus. That's exactly what fans love to do about their beloved. But we are to glory in Christ Jesus. Now, I've kind of gone back and forth, and you'll hear me say it both ways during this sermon, glory in Christ Jesus, or boast in Christ Jesus. Because it seems to me that's what we do in our culture. Oh, this team, or oh, that show, or oh, that person is awesome. Our culture loves saying, awesome. And this is the verbal cue, this is the verbal way our culture glories in something. Which, you may have noticed in the last 13 years, I like to say praise Jesus. Because it reminds me that whatever it is I'm doing, whatever it is I'm looking at, I want to glory in Christ Jesus. I want to give Him glory for whatever it is that I'm enjoying. I don't want to be a fan of Jesus. Jesus doesn't want fans. He wants fully devoted followers. Paul, in his day, would have said, Hallelujah! Which means, praise Yahweh! This, this kind of verbal cue and the accompanying joy in your heart is what Paul would have expected us to have having read this command. Glory in Christ Jesus. Boast in Christ Jesus. Praise Jesus. But now notice Paul quickly moves. He calls his opponents the dogs, the evildoers who mutilate the flesh. He calls their form of circumcision mutilation. Now, In this passage, you're going to see several paradoxes. Paul is going to seem to be talking out of both sides of his mouth, but he most emphatically is not. And hopefully we'll see that. And our current American evangelical culture very often misses the paradox that is going on here. We miss the tension, the push and the pull that Paul has with righteousness. And specifically in this case, he's talking about circumcision. Now remember, Paul grew up with a very positive view of physical circumcision. Paul even had Timothy, his disciple, get circumcised as an adult. understand a distinction that the prophet Jeremiah made and upon which Paul built. 
When God commanded physical circumcision, note, God commanded circumcision. When God commanded physical circumcision as an identity marker of his covenant people, he did so to clarify later, through Jeremiah and Paul, that what he wants more than anything is heart circumcision for both men and women. Jeremiah 4, verse 4. Circumcise yourselves to the Lord. Remove the foreskin of your hearts, O men of Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem, lest my wrath go forth like fire and burn with none to quench it because of your evil deeds. Jeremiah is very interested in God's people putting away their evil deeds. Circumcision of the flesh, while commanded at an earlier time and legitimately considered an act of righteousness... In the new covenant, it becomes ultimately unimportant. Why? Why did circumcision lose its importance? Because of Romans 2.29. A Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the Spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, who wants to boast in your flesh, but from God. You have to understand. This is a powerful, sweeping statement that his contemporaries would not have appreciated. So, if Paul is going to make such a sweeping statement based on one verse, Jeremiah 4.4, he had better answer the question, what is circumcision of the heart? Fortunately, he did, and it's our passage tonight. Verse 3, for we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God, who glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. There are three things, according to Paul, that characterize those who have been circumcised of their heart. Jeremiah told God's people to cut away their evil deeds. And Paul tells God's people something a bit more specific. Worship by the Spirit. Glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in your flesh. Now pardon me. This is going to get a little graphic. The physical foreskin, the flesh, is going to be a pretty important part of the man. He's, he's, it's important to him. And I won't mention why. Likewise, you could almost say exactly wise, to every single one of us, man, woman, or child, what we can do physically, mentally, morally to earn our just desserts, to get our rights, to earn our keep is very important. And we don't want to give that up. Just like a man would not want to give up his foreskin. There are, of course, lazy people who just want to sit at home and be comfortable. But when you talk to those people, even those people are going to boast, I'm not as bad as that person over there. They will boast according to their flesh. At least I didn't fill in the blank. You can be certain if the person's words come across, I did or I didn't do that, 
you have a sure, certain mark of having confidence in the flesh as opposed to glorying or boasting in Christ Jesus. But now note what Paul does next. Verse 3 again, and then 4 through 6. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God, glory in Christ Jesus, and put no confidence of the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. On the surface, this is kind of a confusing passage. What are you doing here, Paul? Paul initially says that the mark of a Christian is that he or she worships by the Spirit of God, glories in Christ Jesus, and puts no confidence in the flesh. Then he immediately builds a case that he has reason for having confidence in his flesh. It's not confusing. Here's the argument. If, if there were a way to build confidence in the flesh, if there were a way to be able to claim, I did or I didn't in such a way that it was enough to impress God, if it were possible to do that, then this is what that claim would look like. Why? What's so special about this? Because all of these Jewish identity markers in verse 5 are commanded by God. But of course, at the end of 5 and verse 6, Paul was the Pharisee who worked hard to prove that he was even more Jewish than a Jew. But here's the rub. Here's where the paradox happens. Here's the difficulty. If you were a wanted to be a good Jew, how would you go about obeying God? Well, you would get circumcised, you would live kosher, you would keep the Sabbath, and you'd worship according to the laws of the temple. Yes and amen. Now, if you're a good Christian, you want to, be, you want to become a good Christian, how do you obey God? Well, you know, you read the Bible, you pray diligently, you fellowship, you serve those near you, and you tell others about what God has done for you. Yes and amen. Seriously. Think right now. What else would you expect? What else would you say if a new Christian came to you asking, how can I grow as a Christian? These are the very things that you would say to them. This is exactly if a young Jew met Saul of Tarsus who wanted to grow in Yahwism, this is what Paul would say. We need to put to death the idea that all external righteousness is bad. Paul did not think that all external righteousness is bad. There are very specific commands in both Testaments, and you and I are meant to obey them. And we are meant to obey them in such a way that we therefore know God better so that we can love Him and trust Him more. To use Paul's words, we obey them as we worship by the Spirit. Now, of course... 
it must be said that you can do all these things and be lost. Of course that is true. And it is true that you can be a true believer and fail spectacularly. Of course that is true. That is true in both covenants. Which is why we need to read Paul carefully. We, like the Jews of the Old Covenant, are saved by grace through faith. We are saved because God works grace. God works His power to accomplish salvation in me and through me and for me. And we are saved by faith, through faith, trusting the promises of God for us in Christ. And it is this trust and this grace, this power of God... It means something. It means we will live in such a way that it is evident to those around us that we are in fact friends of Jesus by our attitudes and actions. Not perfectly. Certainly. Because none of us are. But it's where we want to be. We are saved by grace through faith alone. And that grace through faith is never alone godly attitudes and actions what some have called external righteousness always accompanies faith not perfection but certainly noticeable effort now what is necessary is worshiping by the spirit and glorying or boasting in christ jesus we live our lives in such a way that we value jesus more than what i can do And as we value Jesus, as we align our hearts with him, as we do, frankly, study God's word, pray, fellowship, serve, and reach out to others, we will grow in our ability to worship by the Spirit. And this will be the sign that we belong to Jesus. Jesus said, they will know that you are my disciples because you fill out the doctrinal survey correctly. They will know that you're my disciples because you go to the right church. No. They will know you're my disciples by your love. How do they know you love? You can give without loving, but you cannot love without giving. So worship by the Spirit. Glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. So here's where the change happens. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Verse 7. Indeed, I count everything that I had formerly as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For His sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. This then is what it means to glory in Christ Jesus. Now I have noted before that in the New Testament, there are two words that are translated bless, to bless. The first word is the one used in Matthew 6, where Jesus pronounces a blessing on those who so orient their lives that everyone around them sees that they are a friend of Jesus, that God is their friend and Lord. Now this word clearly means it is one in a superior position, blessing or bestowing favor on someone in an inferior position. It's 
used of God to us. It's never, that word is never used of us blessing God in that sense. But this doesn't work so well when we get to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, and we are told that we bless God's name. There has to be something else going on here because God is never in any way inferior to us. And so there is another word that's translated to bless. And this one could be translated speak well of. To speak well of someone or something is to boast about it. It is to glory in it. It is to be a fan of it. When we speak well of something, we are praising it so that others around us will join us in our appreciation of whatever it is that we are enjoying. So to speak well of or glory in or boast about Christ Jesus is to declare in no uncertain terms that everything else you do, that everything else you might trust in for your good is rubbish. It's worthless. You can't trust in my daily quiet time or in my wonderful prayers for everybody around us. In all our toys and all our disciplines, if they are not glorying in Christ Jesus, will mean absolutely nothing on our deathbed. All your own righteousness will mean nothing in terms of your salvation. What you need is to know Christ. And how do you come to know Christ? By trusting His promises and relying on His power at work in you to grow in obedience. And relying on His promises and His power to enable you as you go to God's Word to meet God there. As you go to the throne of grace and you say your majesty, you know that the Holy Spirit is meeting you there. It is to grow in this ability to fellowship, to get below talking about football or, or the whatever TV show and talking about what is it that really matters. It's trusting the promises of God and relying on His power so that you can serve others and reach out to those who do not know Jesus. You are relying on grace, His power to accomplish His purposes in your life, and you are trusting His promises to do it. And so Paul gets even clearer. He takes another step. And he says, For His sake, for Christ's sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. Why does he count them as rubbish? What is, what is the goal of him throwing everything that he had behind him? In order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on on faith. Now, interesting note. The word translated rubbish here is the word you would have heard if you were at the shipyard to describe feces. I'll let you imagine what that word would be in English. I won't don't think I need to bother to say it. But why? Why would he describe all that he valued before as feces? 
Verse 9, because he realized that the Sunday school awards he won for perfect attendance gave him a righteousness of his own. He got applause from the church at the potluck. But that doesn't really mean very much when you're standing before Jesus on that day. What he needs is a righteousness that comes through faith in Christ. Now, I'm sure some of you are thinking, Greg, you're being awfully complicated. You've got to help us out here. So here it is. The Reformers talked a lot about means. The Reformers talked about means of grace. The means of grace were those disciplines, yes, spiritual disciplines, that we use to grow in our capacity, for example, to know God better. Or, for example, to put our flesh to death, to, to mortify a particular sin. Or, for example, we use means of grace so that we can learn to pray more effectively. The Reformers would be the first to say that you must use these means correctly. Worshiping by the Spirit. By grace through faith. And the Reformers would be the first to say that you must use means. Now our American evangelical culture wants to stay away from have-tos. We want to strike out on our own. So we push back against anything that inconveniences us and we call it legalism. But correctly using the means of grace, prayer, Bible study, fellowship, and service outreach is what Paul would say is worshiping by the Spirit. And like Paul using circumcision as his example, I'm not giving an example of every spiritual discipline. I'm just wanting to point you in the right direction. That's part of the difference between legalism and helping you, my brothers and sisters, walk in Christ. My job is not to tell you, you must do this. My job is to point you back to God's Word and to His Spirit and say, huh, maybe you ought to talk to Jesus about this tonight. Maybe there's a means of grace that He wants you to put into your life. Now, by all means, you have that you believe that God is saying, come talk to me. We'll, we'll talk about how, what that looks like. But even though Paul doesn't specifically say worshiping by the Spirit, even though he doesn't specifically define the phrase here, he does so in other places. Hmm. Like Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 19 that we're going to come to next week. Now I have a question. I need to pause once again. I titled this sermon The Gospel According to the Philippians. So I hope at least one of you are sitting out there thinking, okay, Greg, where's the good news? Where is the message of salvation? Where is God calling sinners to new life? It's right here. Verse 8. 
For Christ's sake I have suffered the loss of all things and I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and may share in His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death, that by any means possible I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Now I have to point out, if you look in the ESV at the end of chapter of verse 3, you see a little dash. And then right here at the beginning of verse 10, you see the dash again. So you can read it in such a way, we are the circumcision. We are the ones who worship by the Spirit. We glory in Christ Jesus and we put no confidence in the flesh that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection. You see, what we see here, the gospel according to the Philippians, is that there is a way of salvation. And that way of salvation is not your works. The way of salvation is not what you do or what you don't do. Christ has come and there is a means of reconciliation. There is a means of the righteousness of God being credited to your account. Now Paul does not explain that in this passage. For that you need to turn to Romans 3, 21-26 for example. Or you need to turn to Titus chapter 3 verses 4-8 through for example. But what we see here in Philippians is a clear call to repentance. Decide in your mind and heart that all you have done or not done in order to impress God or in order to be better than someone else is rubbish. It's the shipyard word for feces. Man, that's going to take faith. That's hard to do. That's as hard as convincing an adult male to give up his foreskin. I'm sorry, Paul did this, not me. That, giving up your ability to pat yourself on the back is going to take trusting God's promises and it's not easy. So what are you going to do? You're going to have to do it by grace. You're going to have to do it by God's power accomplishing kingdom purposes in your life. This is hard. It may be all the harder to convince an old sold out Pharisee or an old dyed in the wool Baptist that their perfect Sunday school attendance award means exactly nothing. If you trust in your Sunday school perfect attendance award to make you better than someone else or to impress God with how pious you are, then that perfect Sunday school attendance award is rubbish. It's dog vomit. That perfect Sunday school attendance award is a positive hindrance to your spiritual life. However, 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 If, on the other hand, your perfect Sunday school attendance award is pursued because you want to pursue God 
And you understand that Sunday school and Sunday evening church and prayer and Bible study and fellowship and service outreach are the means of grace that God uses to pour His power into you and through you and for you. Then you'll see that they are essential. You'll see that they are what God uses to bring about His kingdom in this world through you. They become the means of worshiping by the Spirit and glory in Christ Jesus. Worship by the Spirit, glory in Christ Jesus, and put no confidence in the flesh. To worship by the Spirit means that we do those things we have learned in Sunday school. Pray, study your Bible, fellowship, serve, and and do outreach. Share with others what God has done for you. And to do it in such a way that we aren't seeking anything. We are seeking someone. To boast in Christ Jesus means that we make Him what we want more than our toys. It means that we speak well of Him to others. It means we teach our hearts to find joy in Him. It means that while we are watching people do incredible things on the sports field, while we are enjoying that and, you know, some popcorn or some beef jerky or... Oh, sorry, I got distracted. While we are doing that, we can also praise Jesus for beef jerky. Exactly like we learned this morning. Now, I'm not really a sports fan. I have my own hobbies and I geek out about things that it's true, sometimes I overly geek out about them. I remain a sinner. Just like you. But this is what I know. This is what I know. God is interested in your growth into Him more than you are. And so he gives you promises to trust and he gives you grace to empower you. So do it. Pursue him. Go out on a limb. Take great risks for the great God who loves you and will never leave you or forsake you. And you will find him there. You will find that you, by his grace, are worshiping by the Spirit. You are glorying in Christ Jesus and you are finally putting no confidence in in the flesh. Lord Jesus, once again, we cannot do this of ourselves, but we need you to work in us and through us and for us. God, give us, give us to know you and to make you known. Bless us so that we will be a blessing. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you all for coming.